Hey everybody, welcome to Beyond Trek Podcast. We have a very special episode today, if you can't tell by the video grid. Uh, Noah AK is in the house. Thank you What's for being up? here, Noah. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Uh, forgive the mess over here. I didn't even try to clean it up. Usually my screen's <laughs> like this big, so you can only see the good stuff. But you know what? It's unfiltered here, baby. Anything yeah. goes. <laughs> it, we, it, it's your house, you know? I hide the mess behind <laughs> well, the green screen. But yeah, you that, you three are smart is... to set up a green screen. I just I just you don't want to see what's behind on. here. Yeah, <laughs> I like what's behind there right now, man. I'm looking good. I'm looking very concerned. Good, yeah, I was trying to find a very a strong good picture chin, there. very good jawline. <laughs> yeah. I know. I need to get I need to get the surgery so I, I actually look like that mask. I think. <laughs> oh, that would be badass. Pull a full walk, Robert walk Downey Jr. The... from Tropic Thunder. Yeah, there you go. Oh yes. Um, and you know my esteemed co-hosts, Renzo and Big J. Today, we're here to talk about one big thing, but first, I have a, I have a big question for Noah. Uh, Noah, the audience wants to know, I don't know how long ago this happened, but you were playing a game on Twitch, and then uh, Mary told you that you had to, to kill a bug. How big was that bug? So... We live sort of near a, uh, we're in Brooklyn, but we're in a very um, humid part of Brooklyn, a, a damp part of Brooklyn, where we live above a, like a sort of, not completely derelict basement, but like a basement where someone has been like putting the leftover stuff from every project they've been doing since like 1965. Uh -huh. And there's like a thick layer of dust. And what happens is in the, in the humid, in the humid times, the bugs, particularly the house centipedes that sort of spawn and live Ooh, below yeah. catching all the bugs and spiders and everything, they sort of are attracted by this our cool air-conditioned room. So they crawl up the side of the walls and then I think they make their way through the space. Parts of our walls aren't properly cocked because our floor sort of wobbles. You can see what mm -hmm. the, the high life out here in New York. Um, so they just <laughs> crawl up through the wall there. Um, so we have some truly massive, massive house centipedes. I was thinking today, I don't think that was the biggest one I've seen. That one was mm -hmm. probably, it was like the size of a, a small pickle, like all the way around. Ooh. Probably like that big. Oh, man. But I've seen ones that are like a, tr like a cookie, you know, like a yeah. full on wow. cookie. And I just find centipedes. I get it. It tasted like it. Wow. It tasted like it. <laughs> we I mean, get the good them. news is that they kill other bugs you know yeah. so, so that's good but they still are freaky as hell and uh, they're fast too that's the worst part why do they have to be so fast too many legs <laughs> too many legs i have an agreement with them if i can't see you you get to live <laughs> yes that's i think so and if you show your face yeah it's I'm, over i'm murking you that's I'm, it yeah, they, <laughs> stay you hidden know, you're fine walls are all white and I think the way their eyes look, they can only see in front of them. So the good news is if you sort of come directly at them on a wall, you, they're not they're not going to scurry away. They're not as smart as cockroaches and stuff like that. Ugh. I, I, I dread turning on the lights in my kitchen in a hot evening. Just be like, click, scare. No. No. We just don't go into the kitchen after dark. It's fine. And I'm, I'm of the type that I, um, I don't kill spiders uh things like that unless i have to and you know my uh, my daughter little one daughter and my uh, youngest son they don't like bugs just like like anything else and they see them say daddy daddy kill it kill it i said well i'm not gonna kill it because they are getting rid of the the other ones y you know instead of you not having a spider you may have a fly flying around and bothering you. The way I look at it is, the spider is not bothering you. It's doing its thing, taking care of whatever. So, we have no beef with the spiders and some of those bugs. So, you know, I let them. I let them live. Now I'll check to see what kind it is. You know, if it's some like brown recluse or black widow, yeah, yeah, you're you're done. You're gonna get smoked. But you know, it's what are the it, odds well, though, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, the bag. It's kind of the. It's the frog. On the alligator, you know it's or no 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 I'm sorry it was the if I kill all the spiders the bugs come back so was it the scorpion on yeah the, the scorpion's the metaphor you know yeah. Big J you're yeah. you're way more uh, 
a Starfleet material than me because I'm here to kill, man. I don't care what it is. <laughs> All right. Doing so, murder. Not even so Noah and I are Starship <laughs> troopers over here. I go kill, kill them as well, but for a different reason. Yeah, I don't exactly. care about them. I don't care about them. They don't bug me, but the puppy hates them. The puppy sees oh, a bug yeah. and he fixates and barks at them at the wall. And just to get him to shut up, yeah. Smush goes the bug. Because otherwise the dog's just going to fixate and follow it around barking at it. Makes sense to me. Well, let's get to the meat of why we're all really here today. Uh, Noah, about six weeks ago, I pinged you on Twitter because you had uh, you'd been talking about losing your nerd card, I guess. Uh, you uh, you thought you were going to get kicked out of the queue continuum because you hadn't seen any of the animated series. And so I was like, truly, hey. Truly a terrible confession that I felt compelled to make on the internet. I don't know why, but I just felt like it was time to come clean. It would be been weighing heavy on my conscience. As, as it has all of us. As soon as <laughs> yes, I brought I'm it sure to Big J and Renzo. We were like, we you have guys to were do this. Pissed. Yeah, you guys were really <laughs> we can help. pissed off. We, we can help. You, yeah, you guys didn't see the beginning of the, the Zoom meeting, but they were just screaming at me for like 10 minutes. Oh, just really? Yelling. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Was it was intense. <laughs> Legit. Very true. Ah, mm, uh, extended edition. What? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I invited you to watch uh, a couple of episodes and give us some feedback on what you thought. Now, some real thought went into these episodes because um, we took into account some things that you have done according to Wikipedia, and we felt <laughs> that um, two episodes, because we were like, what's going to be like the worst and the best, two episodes that also heavily featured Spock, the character that you once auditioned for. And uh, so those two episodes were The Infant Vulcan, written by Walter Koenig, and Yesteryear, written by DC Fontana. Um, so you watch those today. I watch them today. Yeah, I thought, the, especially Yesteryear, we've got major Andorian presence. We've got DC Fontana, the, the queen originator of the Andorians. So I was in Andorian heaven on that one. I don't know what, what was wrong with their coloring, the, the gray coloring. It was very strange. Oh. It's I, you have a fast there's, there's an exploration for this one, yeah. Hell yeah. I knew one of you guys would have a <laughs> So the guy who was doing the inking on the original like cells was colorblind. He didn't realize that he wasn't inking them in blue. No. So he wow. ended up gray as a result. That is the actual explanation for it. That is a wild job to have, to be a color grader and be colorblind. That feels like a Mr. Magoo thing. Yeah, you think that would be a question that would come up during the interview or something. Hmm. So... So the explanation for this in canon has been, at very least, that uh, Thalen was at least partially Anar. So, like the mm. Anar from from Enterprise, he oh can be pale. Oh my god, that's like right. that, that retcon is like such heavy lifting. It's making me feel sick. That's what we do. We we retcon to. <laughs> there are times I've seen retcons that are like the the gymnastics that had to happen for this retcon is insane i mean let's talk about some discovery retcons too right yeah we're talking mary lou red mystery sister let's not talk about it how about that i love how everybody gets so obsessed with retcons and the truth is he was colorblind that's the retcon that's what i love the most there you go oh god we we got a fucking retcon oh my god oh my god we need to make it make sense yeah i just cannon pencil give me my cannon i love it i love it uh do you have a cannon cannon Arm the cannon, cannon. Fire the cannon torpedoes. <laughs> ah, so yesteryear, um, that was one of my personal favorites. And Renzo, I know you had segments on that, and I wanna, I wanna hold that discussion to the other half to talk about the the one that I thought was really funny, the Infinite Vulcan, uh, where the Enterprise crew goes and visits a land of sentient plants, and then makes a fifty-foot Spock. Whose body we get to see dead in Lower Deck Season 2. Canon, baby. It's Red amazing. Con, hell yeah. <laughs> you gotta love that continuity, right? <laughs> <laughs> Only Mike McMahon could make it happen amazing. Yeah, he could. What did you think of that episode? I loved it. I mean, I love both of these. I think there's so much fun. I love that they just get straight to the point. You know, it's like there's literally no preamble. It's like, we're here. Here's the mystery. Uh, and there's absolutely no B plot whatsoever. Um, 
They didn't have I, time for that. It was no, they had no time for it. It's 24 amazing. minute episodes or whatever. Yeah, I was about to say 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how there was, it just was like seemingly like random twists and turns where it's like, we have a plant people and then the plant people lead you to other plant people that got sick, but it's a trap. But then there was a guy here who cloned himself and he really just wants to make a bunch of other clones to stop the wars. It's just like truly the most amount of twists and turns you could pack into. 24 minutes it's like walter koenig was doing like one of those like poem things you do on a fridge where you just take random words and then put them together it's like <laughs> plant people 50 feet so it was it was great i loved it though i loved it. yeah no walter didn't have an easy time writing the script either apparently gene roddenberry make, made him like go back and fix things like 10 plus times <laughs> on it too so like this was uh, definitely a collaborative thing between the two that's well so that funny. makes sense now that is so funny. He's, it's so funny because I can really imagine him like slaving over it. You know, I got to meet him at Star Trek Las Vegas very briefly. He's so nice, like just like kind, sweet guy. And I can imagine him just being like, oh, my God, Gene is yelling at me over my rotary telephone. I have to go back to the drawing board again. <laughs> yeah. But as a result, oh he was the first Star Trek actor that got a chance to write an episode, too. So that's you know, pretty I've big. Been thinking about that, I, there's such a... Uh, uh, obvious history of Star Trek actor, actors directing, but there's such a, a dearth of Star Trek actors writing episodes. I find that very interesting. Feels like uh, feels like uh, somebody should get in there. I don't Phil, know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know a couple, right? You can make some suggestions, I think. <laughs> yeah, I should start talking to people about it. I mean, it's challenging nowadays because the stories, especially for Discovery arcs, and Picard, yeah. the arcs are so specific that it, it, you know, we'll see what what Strange New Worlds turns out if they sort of stick to what they're saying with the episodic stuff. But yeah, nobody believes that. Totally. Um, <laughs> I am an optimist. I am hopeful. But either way, it's it's just challenging, even more challenging. But yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm I'm very surprised that we don't have more uh, cast written episodes, especially from from the before days when you know basically you could send a a, a, a script in to a mailbox somewhere in glendale and they're like yeah sure we'll do it whatever we got 24 of these things <laughs> that's I don't true know. yeah they were doing no, that for next generation they're just taking in scripts well when you're doing shows with seasons that long and it's you're episodic uh there might be some serialized undertones or there may be that one thing that had you seen a past episode but when you're doing a show like that, well, I think it was 26 episode seasons for, for TNG back in the TNG, day. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've got that. And for DS9, for Voyagers, like people, please send us some scripts. We're running out of ideas fast. <laughs> There's too many episodes here. We're, we're dying. We need I, got some filler. Code, I got to watch Code of Honor for the for, with a friend. He watched it for the first time. Um, and it was Ouch. one of those, like, I had to explain him. Ouch. So some oh. precursor information here. This was written <laughs> for the original series. This was Ouch. written for Kirk and Spock. Yeah. That's why it feels the way it feels. Uh. And uh, he actually enjoyed the episode. So he's a strange one. Wait a minute. Tell me you didn't start him on Star Trek no. with that. Okay. No, no. We've gone through the original series movies, and he's quite enjoyed those. So we're starting TNG okay. now and getting through some of that. He's watched an episode or two of TAS and TOS. Uh, but yeah, so he, he enjoyed Code of Honor of all things. So holy moly, it'd be great yeah, he, if uh, if you could get uh, you know approval from Wizards of the Coast and be like, all right, so 32nd Century Season Four of Discovery, we open around a table, Dungeons I and Dragons know, 88th I Edition, uh, or <laughs> Phasers and Phylosians if you can't get the copyright. You know, there's really no reason why it couldn't happen. I mean, they've probably got, you know, double holodecks now. TNG, double decker holodecks. TNG had poker. Have hobbies, right? TNG had poker. Think, Discovery can have D&D. I think so. I think yeah. so. We certainly have it off screen if we don't have it on screen at least. I love that would... so much. I was just thinking, that seems like that one thing that Discovery is missing that would be really cool, and it would be to have... A, a game or a thing they do, like Max mm. said about TNG and uh, the poker games, they could have something. Yeah, some, they tried like, to make you know they tried party. to make like the uh, a land party. <laughs> 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 tried to make the like the the family dinners happen, but they yeah, always I like those. 
They what happened with that? Misery. People are getting angry at each other. Giorgio decides to pitch a fit and everything gets thrown <laughs> to shit, right? Yeah, yeah, everyone everyone is unhappy when they eat dinner with space Hitlers. I don't know why. <laughs> or, or Detmer does the uh, the weird haiku. <laughs> oh yeah. god! Yeah. Everyone's Ooh. just freaking traumatized. Their whole fa- all their families have been dead for a thousand years. Nobody's having a good time. Yeah, that's that's so really rough. Back- so going back to Infinite Vulcan, right? The whole concept of TAS, as I'm sure you read by now, was just that it was supposed to give like a kid show that was going to take some scripts that might have been used for TOS and just like use them there. And it was supposed to keep Star Trek alive until Phase Two could launch, right? Did you think that there was anything neat about kind of the approach that you saw in Infinite Vulcan for doing so or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I I thought it's just a really fun, like I was saying, it's like fun and snappy and to the point. It's fun to like watch this old animation style, you yeah. know, some of it rules and looks so good. Like that, op- especially the opening, like the opening credits look amazing and the opening song absolutely rules. It's like so good, even though it's so short, it's just clearly like one of the best songs with that old school style. It makes you really want sort of what Star Wars has was like a, a Trek uh, anime, you know, I think that would be so sick. I think that'd be amazing. That's that, watching that opening credits. I was like, oh, this should absolutely happen. Um, and yeah, some of the animations remind you of like those Hanna Barbera uh, totally. shows that you'd watch too, right? Like those totally those purple dragons with the tentacles. Yeah, well, that was the era. So yeah, yeah that absolutely. Was, that was Filmation who went on to do all the He-Man cartoons in the eighties. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's totally that style. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just fun, and it's fun to hear all the the cast doing like voice acting too, and they're all really good at it. You know, like their voice acting is super super strong, which is cool. Fun one for you. So throughout TAS, which I'm sure you'll watch more of, you'll see that uh, Jimmy Doohan and and like ends up doing 80 different voices for different characters yes. throughout it. He uh, keeps getting amazing. reused. Majel Barrett does a ton of things. Anytime they need a female that. character, was Michelle too. So yeah, Michelle yeah. Nichols does as well. I noticed that. I think Michelle did too. I can't remember if it was. It must have been in this one because I don't think she was in yesteryear. Uh, yesteryear, she did two. I can't remember which two she did, and and Phylogians. Barrett did uh, did Amanda and I think like Nurse Chapel or one of the other people as well. Yep, which is yep. great. I love it because of course I you immediately are like, oh yeah, amazing. Her so it's a challenge. Uh, so a story you'll like to hear about the animated series when this was being done and they were bringing back the old actors at the time it was only going to be William Shatner Leonard Nimoy DeForest Kelly and James Doohan uh, Majel Barrett yeah probably because of course you're the wife of the creator you're gonna be in everything so what Leonard Nimoy did in regards to the the casting is that unless uh, George Takai and Walter Koenig had their roles reprised as well. And I yeah, believe also Michelle Nichols, he was going to walk. He had to get he wasn't going two out of three of those. It. Yeah, right, he got and two got two out, two out, out of three. three. But if if he, it was going to be something. And I don't know why they didn't. I, I think it was a budget thing. It was thing. a budget I think issue. It was, yeah, a budget issue. But he did that. He stuck up for him. Said, if I'm I'm walking if you don't if you don't do this, it, you've really got to appreciate that from a colleague and coworker saying this, the show doesn't happen if you don't re- respect and include this person, that person, etc. So we have a little background about the animated series. Love that. Love that. What dude, it's always budget stuff too. That's how all yep. this weird, anything weird or bad that happens. It's always budget. It's budget. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. What a great story. Would that would that be the the reason why your character Rin and Discovery had <laughs> losing mean, antennas? Was it costing too much for the makeup budgets? They said, you know, if we just take the take the antennas, we can shave a little. How much did that save per episode? I'm thinking hundred bucks. Well, think about it though. If I'm around for that long, I, they got to make a move at some point, and they're either yeah. going to be mechanical, which they're never going to do, or they're going to CGI them, which is going to cost a huge amount of money. Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah, actually, it was budget. So you suffered a a budget slash, <laughs> literally. 
Everyone has. Every Star Trek actor oh, has yeah. suffered. And no matter how big or small, has absolutely suffered a budget slash before, without a doubt. But yours are very visible budget slash. Just <laughs> right across yeah. the top, Mr. Yeah. Mod. Just a little off the top. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no. they grow back, right? They grow back, according to Shran. Right. Well, you know, everybody says that, but, like, Archer did a clean, nice Right, cauterized versus, like, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. Osiris is, meanwhile, torturing me on a slave planet. I don't think she's going to let them. <laughs> also, how disappointing it would have been if there's like a whole, you know, montage of me crowing my antenna back, like, yeah, I'm back, and then they blow my brains out <laughs> 10 minutes later. It's like, come on, why do we do that? I think that sounds delightful. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be fun for us, but everybody else might not. Let them grow like back, that. cut them again, let them grow exactly. back, cut them again. Like trimming the hedges, just can't make sure that, you know, there's like some elder Andorian walking around. He's got like eight foot long antenna because they just never <laughs> stop growing. That's funny. That's funny. I'll be curious to see if they wind up making the move on Strange New World. I mean, they they kind of backed themselves into a corner, so I'll be curious to see what they decide to do with those. How cool would it be to bring in Felon into Strange uh, New there Worlds? There you go. Now we're talking. Now we're really thinking. Let's see so, if they retcon him as an ANR or not. So I've got some story for you there, then. Let, once, let's talk about yesteryear, then. So yesteryear, written by DC Fontana, it's generally regarded as the best episode of TAS, right? Tell me Wait, what before you thought. We, oh, before we go, go on, yeah, yeah. I just want to say, the guy's plan to send a super militia through space was just to make Spock big. That's he wanted it. to make a million Spocks. And he wanted to make a scoopers. million, yeah. but like the only thing he was going to do is just make them really tall. He wasn't going to give them superpower or mind thing or anything. It was just to make them tall. And as a tall person, I think it was the right call. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough about that. Let's talk about yesteryear. So, yesteryear. Generally regarded as one of the best episodes. Uh, clearly, it's going to touch on a couple subjects that you like. You like Andorian representation. It's going to talk about Spock's upbringing, which we see in the 2009 movie, and we learn more about from Ethan Peck's Spock in Discovery, right? Like, what do you think of this episode overall? I love this episode. I like that it's, like, really getting into just like the meat of again it's just like it's right into it right away which i kind of love um i i love the mix between <laughs> between like how serious it is of like you know this young boy trying to like accomplish his his unyielding father's demands sort of caught between two worlds and then juxtapose that with like the voice of the guardian which was just like somebody they pulled off the street and like shook him as he was like oh through the it's ridiculous world. yeah it's so funny i love it it's so great i wish that that should always be the voice of the guardian uh, it's so great there's jimmy doing um, again is that, is that him yeah, yeah. Oh, that's he was amazing. the healer as well no way i didn't know all that that's amazing yeah, he was great. I, I I love it, man. I just he could have gone with a different fun. choice for the the voicing the guardian. I just I feel like you can't copy Bert LaRue all those many times. Okay, Bert yeah. LaRue's the original voice from City on the Edge of Forever. It's right on. I thought yeah. it was perfect. I, I couldn't. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I love the time travel great. episodes. I loved seeing like. Spock get bullied by kids that we saw again in Star Trek 2009. Like, that was mm. a cool... Like, they pulled that into the movie. Um, you know, they definitely added a lot of depth there. And DC Fontana was in charge of, like, how Vulcan society was presented. Uh, what's really funny is that in one of her notes, she was like, Spock has absolutely no siblings. End of story. And I was like, whoa, well. Uh, but, but they answer that. You know, he answers that in Star Trek V. He's like, technically, I do not. I have a half-brother. So, you mean, Michael technically is just an adopted sister. It's not a sister hey, sister. Um, well, but th that's the same as the Avengers Thor making that comment about Loki that, well, he was adopted. He's adopted. <laughs> like you know, it's your your brother's uh, your brother. I think the whole half brother thing that was still an omission oh of of info. But in regards to Michael being just this random adopted out of nowhere, suddenly Spock has a has a sister. At least the way that they explain that at the end of season two of Discovery, I thought was was well played. Very good wrap up. 
I'd yeah, still that, stick with the argument that we got more to make Michael's story make sense than we did to get Cyborg's story to make sense. Granted, Cyborg <laughs> was a one-off in one movie, but Cyborg. You and don't think Cyborg is coming back? I need. You are sadly mistaken. I need I young Cyborg and his group of zealots <laughs> in in strange new worlds. I have I have the Vulcan robe from Star Trek Four with the long oh, hair yeah. and the pointed ears. Oh, yeah. I have my young Cyborg costume. I'm ready for this. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm, I'll I'll call my agent to put in a call for young Cyborg. <laughs> there was this. Uh, there's this gif I made, and it was from. Uh, I can't remember the episode name in Discovery, but Sarek was in it, and uh, there was some line he, he had. A, I think he was asked a question. He said, I did not, but I know that now, something like that. And so the way I, I titled it was, when you raise three children and none of them graduate from the Vulcan Science Academy. <laughs> it's like, how do you... Yeah. <laughs> did you realize that? Why <laughs> he's so pissed like, all the time, man. He just couldn't get it right. Yeah, yeah. having I mean, all these kids. None of his kids seem to be able to stand him, basically, right? Like, we saw the tension between Spock and Sarek in TOS. We saw it between Michael and Sarek throughout Discovery Season 1 and 2. And Cybok and him haven't spoken in decades. And so, we like, see it in this yeah. episode. They're not really getting along. I think he's just a straight straight up a bad dad. Like, let's yeah. just call it it. Yeah. Worst dad in track. Worse than war, I'm calling it. Oh, that's bold. That's, that's bold. That is bold. But that is bold. I'm just here to stir it up. I'm just here to stir the it up. The real parent figure for Spock here is Aichea. Aichea was the real, Aww. like, hero of his childhood. Hell yes. I, yeah. I, now, that, I, I love that, whatever that thing is with its broken tooth. Great. Just an amazing addition to the Star Trek universe. Now, you say and that Worf is the best. I love the. Dad. Oh, wait, go, so, go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. I was just going to be like, you say that Worf is the worst father. And, and while that might be true, I'm going to add on to that and be like, at least Sarek knows his wife's name. We never hear <laughs> Worf's mom's name. We don't know uh, who Worf's mom is. Like, I need Star Trek Three: the second, the search for Worf's mom. <laughs> I need to know what that is. <laughs> I don't know, well, man. <laughs> maybe in Klingon society, it's not important. It's not a big deal because you're the you're the son of the father, and perhaps that's just how Klingon culture works. Is your I don't know, lineage? Man. They made a doctog that had his mom and and his and, and Lursa Bator and their kid on it. I'm pretty sure that like they could you totally know, do that. That's my attempt to explain sounds like to a retcon something. I tried. I kind of. Hi, Dr. Phil Flox, also known as John Billingsley, speaking. I am the president of the board of the Hollywood Food Coalition. We serve terrific multi-course meals to the unhoused and to those in need seven nights a week. We assist as many as 100 nonprofits with their food needs, buttressing extraordinary social service programs. We work with community partners to address issues of food insecurity here in SoCal. We do lots of other great stuff, but how much time do we have? If you're in L.A., come and volunteer with us at hofoco.org volunteer. And any Federation credits you can spare go a long way. You know so what I we need? Live, we live for beta cannon stuff. We love that stuff. <laughs> we go off on speculation a lot. But what I need now is I need to call back to the Thor thing. And I need I need Tilly and Michael to do get help in a turbo lift. Just turbo lift <laughs> opens and Tilly just throws Michael and Michael does her thing and everyone's dead. It'll be perfect. <laughs> That'd Please don't get me talking about the turbo lifts and discovery. Uh, no, that's not talking. You know my beef. For my sake, Big J, I don't really want to hear it. So don't. <laughs> I was dead by that point anyway, so it's not my problem. Not um, your dog. Not your race. Exactly. We had we had to choose between Noah and the cat, and the cat stayed. <laughs> well, listen, oh, I'll, oh, I'll tell you guys what. No, you the know, cat's what's less funny? budget. You know, that's definitely not true. I was way less expensive than that cat. <laughs> With the vet uh, what's checks funny and... is, is I always knew that I was going to die, even though I didn't check. I, I made, a, per, I made a, a concerted effort not to check in with production about what his fate was going to be because I knew he was going to die. And I didn't want to find out early because it would affect my performance because I'd be so bummed. 
But mm-hmm. the number one reason I knew he was going to die is because when you, so you guys probably know this, but when you go on to set, there's what's called a call sheet. And essentially it lists all the actors with a number next to their names. So like number one is Sinequa, Anthony, Mary, Doug Jones, you know, so it's, it's in a rough order of importance. It's not like, you know, one, two, three. I was number 44, pretty good, not bad, right? Grudge was number 20. And I was like, oh, you know I'm dying if that cat is 24. And I was so pissed the whole time. Every time I would go to set and get that call sheet, I just said, that motherfucking cat, 24 points ahead of me? It really, it really kept me humble on set. It really kept me humble. What a performance though, right? Like what a good performing animal. Uh, oh my God. I thought you were about to compliment Noah, but now you're talking no. about the cat. No, I'm, God, just, I'm just cheesing. And of course the cat behaved so well for Mary. Did this cute little thing and David and the cat just get along so well. <laughs> Meanwhile, my costume has these rips in it. It's not doing what I'm supposed to. Jonathan Frakes is screaming at it, trying to get it to land. They just in the end have to pick it up and throw it at me. Just truly the biggest diva I've ever worked with in my career, bar none. Jonathan Frakes? Oh, he directed. Yeah, he couldn't believe oh, Yeah. Well, no, I know he directed. I just, okay, you gotta. He was like, he was like, come up to me, like, Noah, like, can you get this cat to do anything? And I was like, I'm sitting there, like, covered in, like, these scratches. Like, my arms are shaking from trying to pin this cat to my chest. And I'm like, Jonathan, I'm so sorry. And at one point, I was like, Jonathan, can I just, like, because in the scene, I was supposed to, like, hold the cat and cat's supposed to like comfort me or whatever but it's not happening i'm like jonathan can i just like throw this cat so i can like deal with detmer and stuff he's like it would be my greatest pleasure to let you throw this cat (laughs) (laughs) is there someone else in the making of this movie so you played get help with i didn't say that it does not (laughs) it does not say that at the end of the episode (laughs) what what was it like to to be in that that episode and have Jonathan Frakes, someone who's of course very well known in Star Trek, he's behind the camera. This is Will Riker giving me orders, you know, having me. Well, <laughs> what was that like? Well, he directed two of my episodes, which was amazing. You know, I, I consider for the very, very short stint I have had on that show, mm-hmm. had in Star Trek, to be so lucky. And part of that is that not one, but two of these episodes got to be with, with Jonathan. And I had been around him before you know with mary and was so there's a picture of me we're at like a barbecue at um jason isaac's house and i he's there and i was too nervous to introduce myself i was too nervous to just even say hi and there's literally a picture of me i'm sitting at the end of a picnic table and jonathan frakes is standing behind me talking to somebody and mary saw that like this was the moment for me to get a picture so she was like noah look at me and so it's just like me sitting there like a little kid looking at the camera where jonathan frakes is just like randomly standing behind me and that was like as close as i could get to getting a picture with him um so the whole time that we were on there i was very very glad this was like one of the this was one of the few times where i was like very glad to be wearing that mask the entire time because it really could hide how nervous and how like excited and like how how much i was blushing and like how i was like you know i was too i was too like distracted to say, say too many stupid things so it was awesome and you know he's everybody on the set knows who he is you know not in like an egotistical way but they know what he's bringing to the show they know that he's like an authority on all this stuff and then on top of that he's just an amazing director you know like if you get him to direct something it's gonna be stellar he knows his stuff so well he moves super fast he knows how to keep the crew motivated and excited he's just an incredible leader and just an awesome really really nice guy and he's a great um actors directors uh too he really just knows how to how to get a great performance and that's why they call him two takes breaks (laughs) were there a lot that were just two takes i mean did he live up to the nickname no he he let us he let us work he was more than happy to let us go um I, I think, especially on this show, they really want to get it right. Uh, so there's not always a huge, and, and setups take so long 
on this show. I, I don't know if what it was like in sort of the, you know, second gen Trek era, how long those set, but they take so long that you really want to make sure you get them right. So he's not rushing you, but he will say, you know, if you got it, then he's happy. You know, he doesn't need to draw something out of you and he, and he doesn't need to rush. It, part of it is just really good time management. You know, a lot of the time when you're slamming out take after take or if it's because you lingered too long on something that it, you didn't need to or you did a setup but you didn't quite have it clear in your mind so they had to redo it once the actors came in and he just isn't really making those kind of mistakes you talked about being in the makeup all day for that that's what i want to ask about because you hear the the stories the war stories of these actors <laughs> that take the the four six hour makeup jobs you've got to come in early before the sun is even up, et cetera, oh, yeah. et cetera. So the question that I've got is, what do you do when you're you're sitting in that chair? <laughs> I would hope at least you're reclining some. So, uh, well, before before I continue the question, how long on average does it take? Well, look, here's here's what I'll say. You, what do you do? That is actually a good question. A lot yes. of people ask. What do you do when you when you're there? And the answer is, you just sit. You just sit there. There's nothing you can do. You can't watch a show because they're painting your eye. You're basically painting your eyeballs. You can't listen to music because they're putting a full uh, mask around you that goes over your ears and there was no ear holes on my mask. Um, you can see that like on, on your picture, Big J, that mm -hmm. you know that you can't really see any kind of ears protruding out of the side there uh, under the hair because there were none, so you couldn't hear anything. You can't really talk to anybody because they're painting the inside of your mouth and gluing everything down around and gluing a lip onto your mouth. So the truth is you just sit there. And the only time that they recline you is they'll put you back to lay the mask down flat but then they need to recline you back up so they can paint accurately as you're standing, not as you're laying. And if you're laying, when they sort of airbrush the paint, it'll fall, it'll fall like incorrectly. So you're just really sitting there and listening to, you know, whatever random Spotify station is there. And they play the same, or, or my prosthetics person, Mike, who's who's been in the industry forever, you know, he's been doing this forever amazing prosthetics guy but he would play the same playlist so i would know where we were at in the process based on the song that i would hear i'd be like all right well we're we're at this crappy song and we're at this one mm -hmm. um when i started in the first episode you know i had this um this like white beard that they they had yeah there. yeah and so that beard the way they put that on they had these long kind of like three or maybe five inch strands of hair, of this white kind of hair. And they would glue each hair on individually and then cut them up to shape on the face. And that added about two hours to prep time. So my prep time on that first episode, both because when they put on the mask, it's just like a light blue Halloween mask. It looks like trash, like it looks like nothing. So it's really the painting that gives it life and texture and any sense of realism uh so those especially the first few times it takes a while to get in the groove and understand oh i need to do this first and then that or this is what's going to make it look good or you know if i do this here i won't have to go back and retouch that so it took about five and a half hours for that first episode and then by the second episode it was down to about three and a half but i don't think we ever got it below three and a half in total uh, that I was sort of in prosthetics because you'll you'll be in prosthetics, you'll go over to hair, they'll tape the hair onto the head and then you go back to prosthetics to finish. Uh, so yeah, between three, 3.5 to 5.5, which meant depending on when we were, you know, starting shooting, I would get there at four in the morning, three in the morning and uh, and then sit in the chair for five hours and then everybody else showing up and getting a dot of makeup. You know, David's like just getting a little powder and meanwhile I've been there for eight hours already, so. You go back to your trailer, pass out, come back to oh, do yeah. your, your blocking, well, pass out again. That's the other thing is that is that wearing that, it's different than, you know, I don't have the experience of having prosthetic pieces like, you know, like Emily has, which is like mm -hmm. a piece that's sort of blended into her face or like a lot of sort of 
you know, older Trek would have, which is like maybe a top piece that goes over their head or like side pieces that are blended in, but that are really just like makeup pieces stuck on. Because this is a full encased mask, it's a it's a really really weird feeling um your body really has no idea like what's whoopsie that me no uh it could be me for some reason that's really weird oh sorry <laughs> it happens no all good um you're when you're wearing that full mask your body thinks that you're being devoured Act. <laughs> it, it thinks it thinks claustrophobia. It thinks, it thinks like something is compressing your head and eating you slowly, so it's constantly trying to put you to sleep, so that you can oh. die in your sleep. Dying peace. Gotcha. Yeah. So so I would not only because I was tired of getting up early, but I would. <clears throat> I don't really like nap that much. I'm not a big like napper, but without fail. And Doug is the same way when he does his stuff. If you, I would just lay down and like a vampire, I'd cross my arms because you couldn't lay on your side because it would hurt the mask. I just put my head back and I would just fall asleep like that every single time. So did you ever so, get a chance to talk to like Jeffrey Combs about his experience when playing Shran, like as another Andorian to Andorian kind of talk or anything? Well, you know, I was at Star Trek Las Vegas and like I was like, okay, I. I just have one goal, and that's to just, like, get a picture with Jeffrey Combs. It doesn't really matter if he knows who I am. Like, I just, like, I'll freaking buy a picture, whatever I have to do to get a picture. And we're there's, like, a very small green room back there. And we were sitting in the green room. I was wearing my mask, and he, like, came right up to me. He's like, hey, are you the, you the new Andorian? You this guy? And I was like, holy fuck, he knows who I am. It's so cool. I was like, yes, you know. And I, I was like, you know, I, I, I watched all Shran. I tried to, like base as much as I could off of what you did he's like, oh yeah you know and he was telling me you know I sort of thought well, what he said was he was like you're a little tall for an Andorian because he's he's <laughs> sort of a shorter guy you know and like it's that he they sort of are like this he was sort of describing you know I always thought of them as the Irish compared to the Vulcan being like the English you know sort of like they sort of have this scrappy uh, you know, chip on their shoulder sort of vibe in comparison, especially when he's approaching that first episode and Dorian incident, which is like so, you know, just juxtaposing the two of them. They're all five just, six and they're all always <laughs> exactly. angry. Well, you the know what I do? Taller, though. What I do is I justify that with my beta canon of myself, which is saying that he's a Chan and I'm a fan. And mm. you know, so go different Google sexes, that. different heights. Yeah, that exactly. makes all sense for me. So, uh, uh, that's my little retcon, retcon alert. Um, no, that works then, for me. And then, you know, I was asking him about, because I didn't get to have antenna. So I was asking him like, and I knew that he had this amazing antenna experience. So I was asking him what it was like working with those me mechanical antenna. And he was telling me about how, you know, him and the guy controlling like the motor controls of his antenna would sort of coordinate to make the antenna and the performance match up which i just thought was so so cool and obviously reads so well in the performance it's just like such a big part of that performance uh so i don't know i i just was like totally geeking out and excited and it was just really cool it was really really cool it's great to hear that he was so connected to the <clears throat> to the property that he's still following like oh he's the new andorian oh let's I go think, talk kind of thing i think honestly it's just because i have like harassed him on twitter for like, <laughs> like, like, like truly once a day i'll like i'll say something to him be like please notice me please love me like, enough, enough yeah <laughs> i did I, I i harassed him into it like any good fan well, and that's how so, we're here today. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, let me just get on your show so you leave me the fuck alone. And <laughs> no, so here's a fun one for you. So Thelen, the character that we talked about mm -hmm. yesterday, right? So in beta canon, there's actually an exploration of his storyline as well. Hell so yeah. There's, Which there's book an is this in? So it's called The Chimes at Midnight. It's one of the myriad universes. <laughs> it's a short story, right? Hell yeah. So here's what it does. It takes as though Thelen had always been the, the first officer and just continues the story on. Like, what was Wrath of Khan like if there's no Spock? What is the Undiscovered Country like if there's no Spock? All these stories get looked at wow. through its lens, right? And it tells you this, like, kind like of Marvel's depressing... what if. Exactly. Well, that's what the myriad universes are. They're essentially the what ifs, except like Star Trek, right? Mm -hmm. So you get this whole, like, uh, most of TOS goes mostly the same, right? Sarek is saved by a different blood transfusion. All that stuff happens. But... V'ger goes differently, 
uh, Earth gets devastated, but not completely annihilated. Without okay. a Spock, without Spock there to like mind meld with V'ger, right? Basically, mm -hmm. basically, it's just like you are totally competent, but you're not actually special, and so he's you, better in some ways, though. He's better okay. than Spock was with regards to terraforming technology. So when they came down to uh, the Genesis explosion, they diff it behaved differently. He knew about ah. it, so they were able to cancel it out, right? Amazing. Right. So nobody dies there. Um, then we get the whale probe, and without somebody to read minds again, to read fucking <laughs> things, problems traveling time, and then well, you Earth know, gets devastated again, right? If he was an Anar, if he was an Anar, he should be able to do some mind reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's 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 lightly addressed. Ooh, I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, no, they all have, these like, stories mean story absolutely board. nothing. Thank you, Noah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to shatter your illusions. <laughs> My heart is broken, Noah. But no, so it's it's just a good story. I definitely recommend it. It definitely That's goes awesome. and goes through like how how they interact with with Chang and the undiscovered country, right? Because it's not like he's not a diplomat. Spock's a diplomat. It. Comes from right. That. Well, they that even in, in this episode, they really, you know, it's an interesting painting of uh, sort of going back to like DC Fontana's original conception of them as like this sort of warrior race. They almost feel like they're trying to come off as like almost tribal in their you know like kind of like they're they're just like all about this sort of war and like warrior spirit which i feel like is a mantle that gets taken up by klingons really uh and so then you sort of it's interesting that's why i sort of focus so uh, one of the reasons i focus so heavily on jeffrey's performance is because like that sort of warrior ethos doesn't totally hold up because it sort of is uh, taken on by the Klingons instead. So, you know, later on, it's interesting to see what they kind of build into next. Yeah, and Doris are definitely pugnacious, right? But they don't really seem like they're conquerors. Like, they want to, they'll yeah. evidence the scrap if they have to. They'll kick sure. your ass. But sure. they're not there to take over your planet. Exactly. exactly. I always kind of picture the Klingons as more like your Viking warriors and the Andorians, like, uh, I don't know, maybe your Scottish warriors. The Highland uh, groups and such. The Highland I, groups, yeah. I always got the Andorian vibe. Like, they're going to come on a motorcycle. They're going to kick the door in of your bar, hit you in the face with a crowbar. You know, the, your, your girlfriend's going to hop on the back of the bike with you, and they're all going to drive off. That's 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 the warrior vibe. <laughs> yeah, and, you're right. Rest in peace, Mary's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> how yeah, did Mary receive that story? Yeah, she's she's on the back of Jeffrey's bike instead of me. Oh, basically. wait, no. That's not how I'm, but... Uh. Jeffrey walks in. Hey, pink skin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brunt, <laughs> FCA, bitch. <laughs> uh, he asked me if I still said that, and I was like, no, Jeffrey, that's your thing. That's something I'm actually going to leave to you, my friend. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Uh, well, sir, I... Uh... I made this little plaque of the tweets that you had oh. mentioned. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read them. Oh, that's amazing. I'm gonna read them. I, I say I made a little plaque. Uh, my crappy printer did did horrible job, and uh, the paper is glued to styrofoam. <laughs> but it's a plaque. Uh, <laughs> um, on December second of 2020, you said the animated series is a total blind spot for me. On August eighth, you said it's time to come clean. I've never seen an episode of TAS. I will submit my formal resignation from Starfleet and jettison myself into the nearest sun in the morning. Little squiggly, angry face. I still feel like doing that. Just in general, I feel like I should jettison myself into a sun every time I get up. Well, hold that thought. There's one more tweet, and there's a box oh, sitting no. in front of you. <laughs> the third one is like, thank you, President Trump. It's like, no, no, don't read that <laughs> no, no, one. No. Don't read that one. No, 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 no. That's the fourth one. Um, so... Uh, Triangulum Audio Studios said, wait, what's this about? Is someone harassing Knack? Do I need to get my ass-kicking boots that, that are canon, by the way, out of my shoe closet? To which you responded, ha, 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 you all rule. No, I think it's just in reference to me admitting I've never seen uh, an an episode of TAS and threatening to exile myself from the Q continuum. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just basically outing myself for no reason. So that you're was- You're also showing your nerd cred while outing yourself right? into it too, right? <laughs> Don't and, tell people that. That's my Cardassian you know, side coming as, through. As a man who is, who is, who's grown into the concept of being able to admit weaknesses and like you're so strong <laughs> into the fandom, like 
I just became a completionist last year. I ain't going to lie. Um, but that was the tweet. That last one there was when I contacted you, August 10th. And I have been working with my bros here to uh, find a way to reinforce um, that, that you, are, you are the coolest person. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you follow us on, on Twitter, so you have to be that cool. Um, That's the law. <laughs> but law. I, I wanted to give you something. Uh, so I sent you the box right. in front of you. So you can go ahead and open that. Box. All right. What's in the box? Wrong, wrong right. franchise. Brad wrong Pitt's franchise. wife's oh, yeah, head. Wait. Right. <laughs> All right, here we go. It's. I've got a card. It says official nerd card. <laughs> oh, that is Hell nice. Yeah. So I want We've you to got... think of this as we're not... We're not oh giving you back your nerd card. We're just I, letting you know that you've always had it and you'll always wow. be right there. I mean, I like to, you've really picked the two nerdiest pictures of me here. <laughs> it's wonderful. You know, you could have got my glam headshot, but no, you got a picture of me from 2012 in the middle of lunch. It's amazing. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. And we've got a little, little keychain here too as well yeah oh, so that wow. i i custom painted that to look like a pad oh, hell yeah and that's uh, yeah. a little delta sticker that? on the back i did and um awesome, and you awesome. can put a little photo in there or something like that i love this ah well thank you guys it feels good it hey, feels you are... good to have my nerd card <laughs> don't let the gatekeepers keep you out of any fandom right? you want to be a part of right right don't let, right. Them, don't let them leave you out now i can start gatekeeping people and keeping them out of this fandom what i always <laughs> wanted to do uh but now he's gonna be like beyond trek said i'm a nerd so fuck you and we're gonna be yeah. like whoa he's right Yeah, i'm gonna start screaming at people on twitter now <laughs> hey, hey dag uh got a quick question for you is there any way around this part you could like do an edit out so I can say hi to my son Nacho. He just stopped by unexpectedly. Well, I think we're going to wrap up because I think we've talked about the episodes. Noah, we'd love to have you back to do another TAS thing sometime. Anytime, anytime, guys. Cool, cool. Um, well, I really appreciate this. This is a, a, a truly wonderful gift. Feels good. I feel I feel complete. There's like a piece of my soul was missing, you. but it feels back. I feel strong. I feel good. And great. Uh, this is awesome, you guys. And, and thank you for having me on. And thank you for finally giving me an excuse to, to clear up the, the, the empty spot in my heart, which was yesteryear in 50-foot Spock. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, to the audience, thank you for going boldly with Beyond Trek Podcast. And this is Tuvix, by the way. Just thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hey everybody, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Patreon and Anchor supporters. Big thanks to Stephanie Baker, S. Tam, Anne Marie, Jim Cook, and Nora Hickson. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for being a part of Beyond Trek Podcast. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.